With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 176 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, February the 25th, 2023, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank last week's guest, Matthew Rocker, for joining us. What an amazing episode hearing about the trade he made for a 1952 Tops Mickey Mantle at the Burbank Card Show a couple weeks ago. Check that out. It is on the YouTube channel. One of my favorite episodes that we've ever had. Tomorrow on the channel at 9.30 p.m. Eastern is the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auction Coverage with Hockey Card Gong Show's Josh Madigan. And earlier on in the night, 7 o'clock Eastern, Collectible Live with Brian Dwyer, the president of REA Auctions. And next Saturday on Sports Cards Live, 10 o'clock Eastern, we have Alan Tarul of Waxstat will be joining the show. I'd like to ask you to join the over 300,000 people who have already downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps, whether you are at a card show or to help you price your cards for sale on any platform. Check out their collections and albums features too. The app is continuously improving. So please join me in supporting the great team and they have they have there and the innovation that they are undertaking. Want to shout out Leighton Sheldon and Just Collect. Leighton will be joining myself, and our guest Josh tonight, about half an hour in for the Vintage Update segment. I want to, as always, thank all of our viewer, all of our loyal viewers, listeners, subscribers. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. If you are not not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please take a moment and do so. Let's get to tonight's show. Our guest tonight started in the hobby in 1984. When after going to the library with his father, they would go to the shop across the street, buy packs of 84 tops baseball cards and chase the Don Mattingly and Daryl Strawberry rookies. He's never taken a break, but after law school in 2005, ramped up his collecting and in 2022, he started 90s auctions. His favorite teams are the Chicago White Sox and Blackhawks and his favorite athletes are Frank Thomas, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and Jeremy Roenick. He's originally from and currently hailing in Glenview, Illinois. Let's bring him out. Josh Adams, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Josh. It's uh, it's good to have you. And as I just went through a bit of your your hobby history, 
I want to jump in. I kind of want to jump into the part where I mentioned that you ramped up in 2005. So what did that, what did that look like for you? What, what was your focus when you kind of decided, hey, you know, I'm out of law school, I'm working, maybe have a few extra dollars. What were you focusing on when you first kind of got got more back into it? Uh, I, fo- I was focusing more on putting together sets, like Leaf and Gaudi sets, and then also looking after cars I couldn't find in the 90s when I was like a kid going to the small regional shows, like the hotel shows. So I'd go to the I'd go to the Chicago uh, Rosemont show. They had it every um, November, and then they had it in March, and they still do. And I'd go there like probably on the Saturday with my dad when I was younger. Then when I got older, I'd go with some friends and drag my dad with me a couple times. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was it. Like focusing on all the stuff I could never find or didn't have the money for, you know. So, so when you say the Rosemont, that's the same building that the National is in, right? Is that what they now call the Chicago Spectacular Show? Yeah. Yes. Do you still go to it to this day? Oh, yes. It's in two weeks, I think. I think it's coming up. I know you go to the National and you've been to several Nationals, but the 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 spectacular or the Rosemont show, it used to be called the Sun-Times. Isn't that what it was called? Yeah, Chicago Sun-Times would sponsor it. I think they stopped and now someone else does. I don't I don't know who, who runs it, but it was it had a lull. Like it was really, really strong in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then I think 28, 2008, 2009, it kind of took a dive a little and the past two years, it's gotten to be like everything else, just kind of exploded. What's it like to be so close to, you know, the stop on the national where it occurs every second year? Or so, I mean, I, you know, for most people, it's a it's an airplane ride. You can't bring all your stuff. You gotta you gotta be careful what you're or just plan what you're bringing because of capacity on the airplane. This and that. What's it like living so close to to Rosemont? It's it's the best. If we could have it here every year, I would not complain. I can't un- underestimate the um, benefit of sleeping in your own bed every night. For sure. For sure. Let's go back though. So you mentioned Gaudi and Leaf sets. So when I think about Gaudi and Leaf sets, I think about the 33 Gaudis, the 34s as well, but the 33s, I absolutely love them. You know, you've got the, the four Babe Ruth cards, you got Luke Gehrig among many others. Is that the one that you were chasing? And is that a set that you are still working on? So I built that one and I finished it and then I sold it off because I was done with it. Uh, a few years ago, and then I'm like I was doing that in the leaf set simultaneously. But then I decided I only wanted the leaf short prints because you could find the regular cards any day. Just need to find the money to pay for the first print cards. So the leafs are are we talking forty eight leaf the Jackie Robinson year? Thank you. Yeah, forty eight leaf baseball. The Robinson is actually not a short print. It's a it's from the first issue. So I just do the short prints. Uh, the page is the biggest card in that set. The satchel is it a is that a short print? Is that why? It is, yeah. It didn't come out till 49 either. So yeah. You don't see many of, of those cards, that's for sure. No. You also mentioned when we chat I've chatted with you before, and I mean we know each other, but um MJ and Kobe, you know, you're you're from Chicago, Michael Jordan. You know, obviously you're gonna be a Jordan fan or you're from the Chicago area. Uh how you know what were you focusing on in 05 when you came back in terms of those two players? What 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 were I mean, I'm kind of guessing you were looking at the 90s, but verifying like any cards in particular that really stuck out to you that you maybe chased as a kid that we're looking for? I always liked the shiny refractors, like 96, 97, 98. Um, loved scoring kings, all kind of the general inserts. Essential credential, I always liked. I never bought one. I should have. Um, that's probably that ship has sailed, probably. But um, yeah, the, the, all that stuff I chased as a kid, you can never find them. Because I'm always convinced the dealers who are selling the cases would find them first and then give the rest to the sell the rest. Yeah. 
I mean, ni- the, the cards from the 90s have really taken on a, a, a new life of their own, a renewed life of their own, I would say, right? I mean, they were obviously, back then, a lot of people were kind of taking a break, if you will, from the hobby or were just not as involved, myself included. I wouldn't say I took a break, but I was not as involved from like 95 till about 99, which is, <laughs> I think... I think a lot of people that took a break in those during those five years probably regret it, myself included, because that's when some of the the best cards came out, the the rarest, the most creative. What what about you? I mean, you you ramped back up in 05, but what were you doing in the second half of the 90s hobbies hobby wise? So you know, I was going to school, I was working two jobs. So it was, you know, money was scarce in terms of you know disposable income for cards. So I'd go to shows and just pick up packs when I could. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll hit something in a pack back in the nineties and it, yeah, it never did. So, uh, but that's how I would do it. I still have most of those cards and keep them in binders and pass them, pass them on down to my kids now. So. So Oh five comes along and you're kind of like, all right, I'm working now. Don't have kids yet. Maybe a few extra bucks. Was there a, you know, you said scoring Kings, which it's scoring the scoring Kings. Jordan is a card that I know. I know that's the card that a lot of people, you know, who who were collecting in the 90s as kids chased later on because it was a tough card to get back then, expensive for the time. Uh, I don't remember the card. It wasn't a card that I was ever chasing. So to me, it doesn't have that meaning. Does it have that, you know, when I talk to, and you and I talk to Jordan collectors on a regular basis, and I think they all, like in, in, that, in that one group, they all love the Scoring Kings card. It's kind of like the first thing that you need to get going, I would say. Or at least that's how how a lot of our Jordan collector friends perceive the card. Do you do you see the scoring kings as being that important as well? Yeah, I, I equate that to like the 93 finest refractors from baseball. Like they were the first like big inserts that came out. So like for, for baseball it was those it was those refractors, which were like I think one per case. And then the and then the scoring king was like the first kind of big insert for MJ. So both of those, every time we go to a show, that's what we were looking for. That was like 15 in 1993. So yeah, those are kind of on the same level for me. But what else is there? I mean, what, outside of scoring Kings, Oh, five rolls around and oh, yeah. okay, maybe you pick up a scoring Kings. What do you pick up next? What are some of the cards that you were really looking for? I always liked the diamond dimensions and like, I was, I was a big upper deck fan more than skybox or Fleer. Cause I think in nineties, it shows I can never find like metal or anything. I could never find them at shows. They always had like, tops and upper deck heavy dealers. So I would uh, always chase the upper deck inserts, like profiles three and two and one uh, diamond dimensions. And then they have like the higher dimension uh, parallel to that. And then the Chrome refractors were also, were always my favorite as well. And they look cool. So do you like to search for like hard to find cards, like um, scoring Kings, not a hard, hard card to find. No. How how much do you like chasing a card that is because it sounds to me like when you're going to these shows you couldn't find the those those dimensions cards so do you really like to search for the hard to find do you prefer the hard to find to the easier to find cards Yeah, I like the hunt. To me, like the hunt is all the fun. Just kind of digging around, trying to either you know make connections and find find it through people who know people, or just going to shows and digging around. And because there's that aha moment when you find what you've been looking for, and it's it's a good feeling. And so back, I mean, outside of going to shows, 
where were you finding your cards? I know, like, listen, I, I registered for eBay in like 1999. It was in its infancy. When did you, and what do you remember from those days? So when I was a kid, like 14, 15, there was AOL. They had these message boards on America Online that you could buy buy and sell cards. And it was the total Wild West because you like send a check to some guy like in Pittsburgh. You had no idea if you're going to get the stuff or not. So that was always fun, like begging your mom to, hey, send a $30 check to this guy. Like, who is he? Oh, no, it's a guy on the internet. Like, it's totally fine. Um, and then shows and AOL. And that was really it. Prodigy had a board, too. But that was that was weird, too, just because it was so, like, impersonal. And you had zero protection as to if some guy's going to rip you off. So it was it was hard for me as a, as a kid to really dig around and find stuff. So between like, again, you, you sort of ramped up in 05, but up until 05, 03, for example, 2003, Exquisite Basketball comes out. Were you aware of that? Were you going to shops at that time? Talk, I'm, I mean, I have to think you were, but talk a bit about yeah. 03 and how that was like a really a shift in the hobby with the first, you know, super high-end brand being uh, Exquisite. So in 03, was my last year of law school and a friend of mine owned a card shop in town. It was right by the train station. So I'd go there afterwards and I got to, he had a little like lounge over there. So I'd study and we'd kind of hang out, just kind of decompress. And he used to get cases of exquisite, like 500 bucks a box. He's like, hey, you want one? I'm like, 500 bucks is, was like you know, a million dollars to me back then. It's like, I, I didn't have it. But they were, they were busting tons of boxes and everyone was chasing the Kobe and LeBron cards. And I wasn't really watching basketball at that time. I was like, yeah, kind of busy. And, uh, but you couldn't give the Jordan stuff away. It was weird. Like the limited, not the limited logo, but the, I don't even know what it's called because I don't really collect it. But there's some exquisite stuff that's going for tons of money now, and you could not give it away, at least for Jordan, because everybody wanted the Kobe because it was right in his prime, and LeBron was coming out, and he was the hot thing, and it was it was crazy. I know he got – they pulled a LeBron – I remember this specifically, a LeBron, Jordan, and Kobe triple auto to 10, and they sold it for like five grand, which was, which was nice. So Nice, nice for the person that bought that back then it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine considering nowadays michael you know michael jordan is one of the main drivers of the whole hobby and here we are oh three and you know he wasn't the he wasn't the number one hit in the in those exquisite packs which were 500 bucks out of the gate and that was that was that was that's that's 20 years ago right now yeah i mean it's crazy to think now what is a what is a box of exquisite go to now? Do you have any idea? I have no clue. I oh sorry. No. Well, there, yeah, I mean, first of all, we don't have exquisite being made anymore, but right, we right. have say right. national treasures, which would be the the equivalent today. And I don't think you can get into national treasures for what it was like ten grand to get into a single bo- box or so. How many packs come in a box of that? I think one. No way. I'm not really? sure. I'm kind of wow. asking. I'm not even know. sure what it goes for. I just think I think it's extremely expensive. But it's pretty funny that, you know, back then, Michael Jordan wasn't the star of the show, wasn't the star of the hobby. And now he is by far the star of the hobby, at least how I perceive it and what I'm watching. You know, we watch auctions regularly and Michael Jordan cards are, you know, along with LeBron and a few others are always at the top of the of the rankings or, or the the most, the, the highest price cards, you know, we, we see oh, yeah. record breaker, record breaking sales all the time. And um, it's often Michael Jordan, maybe it's LeBron James, understandable that no three LeBron James cards were all the rage. I mean, he was a phenom out of high school and he lived up to all the expectations that were to come. So 
good thing for people who were interested back in the day and got into it. But I still find it hard to believe that no three Michael Jordan wasn't at looked, you know, as you put it, you couldn't give these things away. Now, now you, you, you just can't find them unless you're willing to pl- plunk down five figures plus. Yeah. I, I did a show. I, I went to a show in 03 and like the fall of, or the, yeah, the fall of 03 and a guy from around here who has a shop had a table and 400 bucks for a Jordan patch out of 23. Didn't sell. It was there the whole weekend. I, I remember specifically this. I'm like, that's crazy. I didn't buy it because I'm like, I don't know. It, was, it wasn't his playing years card. So I'm like, I wasn't interested. Talk about the national a bit because so you've told me that you've been going to it since 06 and you've been setting up there since 2009. That's a pretty long run of, of being at the nationals. I, I thought I had a long run. I think I'm, I'm, I'm short you by one or two years. So I've, I've been there quite a bit myself, but you've been setting up there since since 09 i mean you're 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 13 years setting up minus the minus the 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 pandemic year so how has the national been for you how much do you love the national you know talk about the national josh it's a nice break in the year for me uh besides like a family vacation this is a nice like boys vacation for the week and you can just kind of forget about work and forget about everything else and not everything else but you know what i mean work you just kind of play with cards for a week and I, I love it you can you see people that you talk to you know on the phone or on the internet all year and then you get to hang out with them for the week and you form real friendships and you it, it's no, I, nothing beats it you know besides you know there's gonna be disney world in our in our future this year so but besides that it's like disney world for adults so go collect is, cards it's, for, it's better come on it's even better than disney world yeah. for adults <laughs> right but uh, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Let's when we I want to go to some comments in the chat. Let's say hi to everybody. But before but when and when we come back, I want to talk about I want you to answer the question sort of how have you seen the national evolve from 06, 09 through till today? Let's say Rocco Rosado says uh, good to be back to my favorite sports card hobby, fun and knowledge sharing community <laughs> recovering from surgery. The show will promote the healing releasing all those endomorphins. Well, Rocco, I hope everything's okay and good to have you back. Jake's toe is here. Frank is here. Jacob Dahl, Toa, got to go to a card show today. Today was a good day. Hey, that's awesome. Hope hope you had a great show. Toa, good to see you. Jake's, yeah, said that was a good episode with Matthew last week. What is up, T-Dot? Good to see you. Frankie Gonzalez in the house. You know Frankie. Josh, what's going on, Frankie? Hey, good Frankie. to see you. Perk, hello, hockey cards up. Tony Conti says, yo to Josh. Mark Santucci in the house. Rocco says, shout out to Leighton. Looking forward to your take on 56 tops. Later in the show, you are always the source of hobby knowledge. So when Leighton comes on, we'll see if he what he has to say about 56 tops cards. Josh, uh, Mark wants to know, are you in the suburbs of Chicago or in the city? Suburbs. He is in the suburbs. Rocco says, does anyone remember what set the Jordan insert flight 23 was part of? Do you know what that was, Josh? I'm not sure. If I'm thinking it, it's later, like 98, 99, and I didn't, or upper, upper deck series. If I'm thinking what, if I'm thinking of this correctly. Yeah. He says he has a few and binders have to dig them out. John Bassalone, what is going on? Welcome to the show. Mark says, I have the Mattingly rookie in a 10. It's part of the set, but I have it in a separate, separate in the drawer. <laughs> Ooh, baby, I like it. Ross is Josh has some fire. Had the honor of buying some raw MJ's from him at the National in Chicago in 2021. Thank you. Cheers to you. 
Uh, Jake says, I've been on eBay since 98. I was buying 98 Upper Deck, upper deck Hard Court boxes for 60 bucks using money orders long before people figured out how to scam sellers and buyers. That's when I, Josh, I mean, I, I registered, as I said, and I think it was like December 99, right at the end, right at the very end of the 20th century, I got onto eBay and uh, I remember sending money orders. Of course, I was in Canada shipping, you know, sending some down to the US. Did you ever have to collect money orders? I have a funny story about that. So yes. So I was selling cards and boxes and, and money orders and one guy, and then I sold a box of, I think I forgot what it was, was it upper deck, 03 or 04 upper deck to a guy in Washington state. And he sent me a check and I'm like, oh, this, this, you know, the guy had a good feedback. I'm like, ah, I'll just mail it out today. And it bounced. So I called him and called him. He was dodging me. So I called the police station in the town that he lived in. And the cops like, I told him what happened. He goes, oh, is that, the, is that the the box with Jordan on the cover? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, I clicked that too. What's the guy's name? I told him. He goes, he looks up his address. I'll go to his house right now. Call me an hour later at the guy's house, and he got a check for me, and, he, and the cop mailed it to me. <laughs> Small world. Pretty yeah. hilarious. Small world. Uh, Mark says, so Josh, which arena do you like better, the United Center or Chicago Stadium? I could talk for hours about this. Nothing be- beats Chicago Stadium. The best stadium I've ever been to in my entire life, and I miss it. I was 16 when they tore it down. I went to the second to last game there against the Maple Leafs. Tony Monty had four goals. Mm-hmm. Still have the ticket. I miss that place so much. Do you have any artifacts or anything? Did you collect anything from the building? I have a seat from Chicago Stadium, but it's not in the house because my wife's like, you got to get this stuff out of here. So uh, it's my office, and I, I'm looking for a brick, but I want a brick with that red paint because they had this really distinctive red paint in the hallways and in the stairwells, and that's what I, really, that's what I remember the most. Um my first game at Chicago Stadium was January 12th, 1986, which was the same day the Bears clinched the NFC. And uh, they played it over. They played the Bears fight song on the organ in the, in the middle of the game, and it was it was crazy. But that's how I remember my first game at Chicago Stadium. Name and the first game and date. Good, good <laughs> memories for sure. Rocco says, yes, Michael Jordan is the goat of goats. Yeah, don't need to tell me that, Rocco. Well aware. And, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's why it's so surprising that back in 03 when Exquisite first came out, People were clamoring for the Jordans, for sorry, for the Kobe's and LeBron's over the Jordans. Nowadays, I mean, it doesn't even matter. Jordans just seems to be like yeah. way, way up here, right? Oh, yeah. Jake says the lowest exquisite basketball box, 10K, highest $48,000 to $65,000. Wow. That is definitely big money. And John says that's why I only collect hockey. And <laughs> you can definitely get into it at a more affordable uh, level for sure. Uh, Mark likes to ask this question every week. Do you have any Carlton Fisk cards? Yeah, I've got a Fisk. I've got a Fisk rookie. <laughs> only New Jersey. Only the hobby can make New Jersey a vacation. And That's right. To the national last year <laughs> yeah. in Atlantic City. Anthony George is here. What's going on? Going on, Anthony Diamond Card Collector. Foul five ball. That is Jeremy. Good to see you. And Frankie says the flight in 23 MJ cards are from the UD Living Legend set, a set of all MJ cards and inserts. And, of course, Frankie's going to have that information. Hockey Barn remembers eBay Wild West days, <laughs> yeah. how much how much fun they were. Make sure to mix in some hockey card talk, boys. Go Pen says John. We, we, we will. I'm sure we'll figure something out there for you. Uh, Mark, sorry to hear about Bobby Hall. Do you have any of his cards? I don't have any Bobby Hall cards, no. Jake's Toes in Washington State. Uh, Ooh Baby says, we want Showtime. We want the cup. Oh, yeah. I think they're going to trade him by end of the show, frankly. So 
Is it talking, about, talking about Patrick Kane? Yeah. Is, do they call him Showtime? Is that what they call him? Yeah, it's his nickname. Yeah. I haven't even heard that. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing he was sitting tonight because yep. the trade talks are heating up. Where do you think he goes? To the Rangers? I don't know. I don't know if they have cap space because they just signed Tarasenko. So I don't know if they even have room for him. I hope they don't get fleeced, though, on whatever they trade him to because I don't have a lot of confidence in the front office. So. Well, I'll tell you what. I remember when the Flames, uh, the Calgary Flames waited a little bit too long to trade away Jerome McGinley. And mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that might be the case for, although yeah. I mean, Patrick Kane's still a, he's still a stud, so he should bring something, but it's, it's not going to be like a superstar. That's for sure. Draft picks, just draft, draft, picks, draft picks. prospects. That'll be it. But Hey, that's, that's something that's better than nothing. That's for sure. Uh, Perk says always helps when, when the cop you need help from collects. Cards. <laughs> yeah, it was a <laughs> fortuitous sure. event. Yeah. Tony wants to know, Josh, do you have a 54 rookie card? The tops rookie card of Ernie Banks in your collection? I don't. No Cubs. No Cubs. You're no a White Cubs. Sox guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that, okay. That's it. What about like Frank Thomas then? Yeah. He's my, like, my favorite player of all time. So I have a ton of his stuff. So. You must, you must. Yeah. yeah. And Perk says, I keep I keep trying to figure out another time that I'll end up in Atlantic City. I don't think I don't think I will. Me neither, Perk. I think uh, 2021 was my last visit to Atlantic City. T Dot says the cultural absorption acronym GOAT has poured money into eight to ten players all over sport. Yeah. Actually, I saw a really good, a really good spin on the term GOAT the other day. Uh, Teapot, Tyler Nethercott, who is part of the sports card investor group, actually put this on Instagram. And he changed the spelling from G-O-A-T, Josh, to G-O-T-E. Greatest of the greatest of their era, which I think is very, very clever because greatest of the era or their era means that you can pick a goat from each sport from each era. So you're not now you don't have to decide who's the goat, Jordan or, or LeBron. They're both goats, G-O-T-E. I thought, what do you think of that? I thought that was really clever. I think it makes sense, right? Because, you know, Babe Ruth played when half of the baseball population couldn't play. So, you know, how would he have faced off against some of those players, you know, like Page or Bell or any of these guys that weren't allowed to play, as opposed to Mays, who just could light it up and was one of the best, you know, top five ever. So, yeah, it makes sense. I like it a lot. The new the new way to say goat is G O T E, and it's it's much less controversial. I think I, I was very impressed. All right, decoy. This is kind of cool. Great conversation, energy so far. Thank you, decoy cards. Not sure if either of you saw yet, which I did not. But Linus Allmark, who is the goaltender for the Boston Bruins, scored a goalie goal tonight. That does not happen very often, and I have him in my fantasy league. So I gotta make I gotta see if goals count for points they, by a goalie. I sure hope they do. Uh, that's pretty. I mean, you're a hockey fan, Josh. Yeah. Right. You don't see this often. Never. I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I love hockey. It's my one of my favorite sports. Top, probably right. top favorite sport. Jake says, uh, "What about Griffey with the White Sox?" <laughs> White Sox legend Ken Griffey Jr. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. And sports card stallion says, "Josh, good to see your face after so long." That is uh, Alex, who was on the show a couple months ago now. All right, so I, before we went to the comments, I said, I want you to talk about how the National has evolved from your, from your perspective from when you first started going in 06 till now. Leighton has joined us. He's in back. Leighton, give us a couple minutes. We'll get through this. Then we're going to bring Leighton on. And Leighton, I got I to gotta warn you, we've been asked to hear your perspective on 56 tops baseball cards. So 
Think about that for a sec. Josh, talk about the national and kind of like how your experience in it has changed, evolved, improved back since you started going. And even with being a dealer. So it really changed like 180 degrees. So from like, you know, 06, 07, 08, when I was just going as, as a, you know, a participant, we would go and stay for a couple hours and like, okay, I saw enough take off or, you know, stay for a day as a dealer. Um, you, you know, you're there all day, you know, a couple of, you know, before set up after you close up and, uh, but the culture around it has changed a lot. So like, you know, before you go to the show and then either go back to your hotel room, find some guys to have dinner and go back. Right. And the corporate area was, was really small. It was not big at all. And I'm not the biggest fan of change. So I have to get my head around this, but now I think it's good because they have all these like trade nights, which I think I've aged out of, but there are trade nights, you know, and um, there are like all these panels and there's all these like events they have after the show almost every night, which I think is good. Right. Cause otherwise it's just, like weird. You just go to your hotel room and like, what do you do now? You know, if you know a couple of people, then you just go out to dinner with them and then just, you know, that's it. But this is good. It's good to like socialize and network and, and meet other, meet other collectors. And cause if you're a dealer, you're at the show all day, you're not really leaving your booth. You're just sitting there and you can't really do anything else. And, and I know a lot of guys who come in like, oh, have you gone out at all? Like, no, I have to work. And then I'm exhausted by seven o'clock, end of the show. So I just go back to my hotel room. I don't do anything. So it's a good way to like force kind of socialization. And I mean, a lot a lot of people that you're friends with in the hobby are going to are going to kind of drag you out right at night yeah. after the show and say, hey, we're going for dinner. Come on along. That's a lot of fun. What about the like just the action of uh, transactional volume at the at the booth at your own table? The how have you seen an improvement or the opposite of like the caliber of cards coming by your by your booth? The amount of people looking to move cards to you as a vendor? I mean, you're one of many vendors in the room, but still, you've been there quite a long time. So I think with the advent of social media, you're able to like advertise more. You know, like hey, I'm going to be at this booth at the national. Come by if you're selling this. Or I have this to sell. Whereas, honestly, before I got on social media or anything, how would you know, you know, how do you reach all those people? I guess if you have like Twitter or Facebook or something. I don't really have, I mean, I don't really use Facebook. But, um, yeah, and it's a good way to like get people to your table to either buy stuff from them or, or sell stuff that people are like, hey, I've got this card. If you're, anyone wants it, I'm at booth so-and-so. And then you can like tag the national. And uh, I think it's great. Yeah, the social media aspect certainly does help, especially if you're like showing off. You can take a picture of your showcases, put them on social media, tag the National Convention account on Twitter or Instagram, and often they will repost it. And if you're following that that account or that hashtag, you're going to see a lot of great stuff. John here says, hanging out with friends is the best part of the National. Uh, It's funny, but it's true. Like, you know... I, I love going to the national and I will always, re- I will always remember kind of, there's two things. I'll remember meeting people and spending time with people like friends. And then I'll also remember the big pickup of the show. So I, I don't want to go to a sh- I don't want to go to the national and not have a card to remember from it or two or three, yeah. but I also don't want to go to the national and only have cards and have no, no real experience to take. Like I'll take the experience. If I have to sacrifice one, I'll sacrifice landing the card. And I'll take the experience. You know what I mean? I, that sure. to me is, is like John is saying, more important. The cards are almost secondary, but they're important too. At least I, 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 they are for me when I go to the show. Uh, 
volume accumulation in the house as Josh is the man. Good to see a fun, very fun account on Instagram. Yeah. And uh, Mike right here says that it's been three years since the last goalie goal in there the NHL. Go. Just an idea for everybody how rare it is for a goalie to score a goal in the NHL. Any comments, Josh? Uh, no, I do remember goalie fights though, like uh, the uh, Red Wings and the uh, Avalanche uh, rivalries in the nineties. Mike Vernon versus Patrick Waugh. Was, Did was you? That- yes. Did you see that uh, documentary on, on uh, ESPN? Not yet. I oh, need to see it. It's so good. I watched it like twice already. It's, it's really good. But they go through that, and it's amazing. I will definitely see it. I will definitely see it. All right. Well, let's bring out Leighton, who uh, who got it. Leighton, I forget. Okay, let's bring him on. Leighton, welcome. Welcome back. Good to see you. you Josh, Leighton, if you guys uh, Hi, know Josh, each other. We know each other. How you doing, man? Good to see you. Good, good to see you as well. Good. Uh, well, hey, now now that that's out of the way, what went? Oh, when 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 Josh Layton, when Josh said I out I out aged I out aged trade night, I saw you laughing in the background. Uh, what 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 made that funny for you? Um, because I think it is a really cool concept. Uh, I myself and I think Josh and you as well, Jeremy. Like we work really hard at these conventions, have a lot of fun. Yeah, I at best case can handle like one of those over the duration of a of a convention. <laughs> but like, you know, it's like even if your favorite band comes to town, like, you know, we have a friend, mutual friend, uh, Josh named Scott. He can go see Bruce like a million times. I-, I can't do that anymore. I'd like to. I would. And to be fair, if I was totally rich, I would. I would have, this, you know, um, uh, tickets to all the best concerts. I'd have season tickets to all my favorite teams. Um but unfortunately, like, yeah, none of that's happening in the near future. So, yeah, I can't go, like, back to back to back after, like, working all day and night. It's, like, it's hard enough to, like, get to dinner. Sometimes I, like, order room service and I'm sleeping and they're, like, knocking. Like, is there a problem in there? I'm like, whoa, no, I'm sorry. I thought I was in a different state. You know what's going on? Leighton, I'm going to bring out this comment here from Rocco that came up earlier. He said, uh, look forward to your take on 56 tops. So what can you, anything you can sort of tell us about 56 tops? set the and i'm he must be talking about baseball because there was not a hockey set then there might have been and football certainly not, football certainly not basketball and uh and yeah. don't think there was there football i'm not sure there was no. football but it's not good it's not good no I'm so sure what, what can you tell what can you tell what can you say about uh about 60 56 tops baseball cards um well, the first thing I would say is this would be like a great, fun thing to do in the future for your guest, Jeremy, to bring up a topic that no one knows that you're going to bring up and say like say three things about the topic. I think that'd be kind of fun. Um, I'm going to try that next week. Yeah, well, that's like that's how I'm approaching this. So I'll just go like totally off the back. I didn't yeah, any notes. I literally just wrote wing it, wing it. I didn't do any yeah. So the first thing is um, lack of major rookies. So it even even though it has like Aparicio. You know, it's got a couple other guys, like, underneath him. As far as the major cards that come to mind, Mantle, Triple Crown, and Jackie's last card. So, great set, but it's not one of those, personally, like, if I was going to, and I know you were um, messaging me, Jeremy, about, like, set building and such. I personally, if I was going to focus on a 50s baseball set, not 52 because of, of the cost, I wouldn't focus on 56 just because of the lack of the punch of the rookies. You know, I'd probably focus either on a 54 or 55. If you can, you know, afford the 53, great. You know, it's a beautiful set. Um, you know, probably stay away from, like, 58. It's got, you know, a couple rookies, but as far as, like, 56, yeah, I think the design's beautiful. Uh, my favorite card in the set's definitely the Jackie, just because it is his last. 
um, and of course what he meant to baseball. Uh, and then in terms of like high grade, I will tell you that the cards are really, really nice. Excuse me, hard to find in nice shape. But when you do find them in that like near mint, even, you know, I would say X mint and the cards are centered quality. Cards are great. You know, I, I always, you know, try to imagine what it would have been like to opening up these cards back then. Yeah, these are good looking cards. You get them, you know, what, five for a nickel? Yeah. Um, so uh, that's my hot take on 56. Great set. A um, couple of key cards in it. Just a lack of rookies, I think, that what keeps it from shining above some of the other sets from the 50s. I had the the Aparicio card. I no longer have it. I lost it and lost it. I moved it in a, in, a, in a set culling exercise I did a couple of years ago. You mentioned, though, because that, that one was out of left field, that question wasn't meant to be in the in the program for tonight. But what was meant to be in the program for tonight, and I always try to find, you know, want to have a similarity or commonality between you, Leighton, and our guest of the night, which is Josh tonight, obviously. And um, Josh had mentioned to me, you know, he's a, he's a set collector, but he also likes to find the the tough to find. And you, for a living, with with your business Just Collect, you consider yourself to be a professional baseball card treasure hunter. And I think that's a lot of a lot of fun. And it's also similar, you know, Josh has said earlier, I like the hunt. So I'm trying to find a way to kind of weave those those two things together with maybe, you know, you, you do it professionally. Josh has been doing it, you know, as a hobbyist for several years. But if you had any advice or anything that you would say to Josh or the rest of us out there who are, you know, kind of looking for the last card for our set or whatever it may be. Um, any, anything that you thought about that you could bring to the, to the table? Um, you know, I'm not sure that I'm going to know more about uh, set collecting than Josh, but I am happy to be part of the conversation and certainly humbled to be here. Thanks again for having me on Jeremy. This is a lot of fun. Um, and I haven't seen Josh in quite some time as far as uh, set collecting, Josh, I'd love to hear your take, but this is kind of like what came to mind for me. Let's just say it was going to start a set. Forget about the grade, right? You'd have to think about what it would cost you to, to put it together, okay? So whatever that budget is, uh, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. It could be really low, it could be high. Um, and obviously, if it's vintage and it's higher grades, and it costs a lot. I guess my question for you, and certainly I'll answer it first if you'd like, is what's your strategy if you know your budget, you know your target, and you even say, I'm going to be the most patient, I'm going to be like Buddha-like. I'm going to take 10 years, I'm going to take a lifetime to complete this set. Are you going to go after the commons first or are you going to go after the keys? I have my opinion and I'm happy to go first if you'd like, but that's kind of what I wanted to pose out there uh, to both, you know, you, Josh, as well as Jeremy. Biggest cards well, first, because they always go up. The commons well, don't ever that's go up. pretty much, uh, you know, you stole my thunder, but I won't, I won't, you know, be offended. <laughs> sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Nothing to be sorry about. Um, I feel the same. I feel the same, Josh, because, you know, ultimately, if you're on a budget, and this is what we want, right? Ultimately, we want to bring value to the people that are watching your show, Jeremy. So I think that, Josh, and this sounds like we agree, you might look at this project. doesn't matter if it's 500 bucks, 5,000, 50,000, right? It doesn't matter. I think a lot of our gut is to like, hey, let me get going. Let me feel good. Let me buy a lot. Let me buy a bunch of cards, like commons at a cheap price. The problem is the moment you start doing that, my take is you're literally hurting your chances to get the key card or the couple key cards in the set because you have a limited budget. And it's been proven over time that as great as a set can become or become more valuable, chances are the bulk of that value is going to come from the key cards. 
So if you're always chasing the key card, I've seen this time and time again, Josh, on my side, like, I mean, Jeremy likes to, you know, romance my title here. And I love telling people I'm a professional baseball card treasure hunter, which I am, but I have lots of people who've like candidly, Hey, listen, Layton, I'm 39% down on a such and such 58 baseball set in PSA. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not going to do it. And I always ask why, like, you know, did the wife yell at you? You know, did you run out of funds? And they're like, honestly, man, it wasn't that I ran out of funds. It was that I started buying these cards, the cheaper ones, and I thought it was smart. And then I saw the Maris rookie go crazy. And I just can't bring myself to buy it at that price. So the point is, do yourself a favor, avoid card heartbreak. This is a way to do that. I, I, I'm going to jump in for a moment because I agree with both of you. When I st- when I do a set of what of anything, I always go for the biggest cards first because without them, I don't I don't really want the set if I'm not going to have the the most important cards. And like you said, Layton, they're the ones that are going to go up in value the fastest. If you know, depending on where we're at in the in the sort of history of the hobby, so. And I, I hear so many people say, "Oh, I'm working on this set, but I'm going to save the, I'm going, I'm going to save the Gretzky till the end, you know, the the or the Jordan till the end." I'm like, "No, get it, get that one first. That's the first card you should go for." And for various reasons, including what what you what you just said. So, uh, and Leighton, when you posed the question, and Josh came right out and he said, "You know, oh, the big ones first. It's almost as if it was a no brainer." That's my, that's, those are my, it's a no brainer. You go for the big ones first and then you fill them in. The other thing is that you may decide after getting the big cards, that maybe you don't need the whole set. Maybe you just want the, the most important cards because, and listen, nothing against set collecting. I understand that that's a, a <laughs> one of the most important approaches to the hobby. One of the most longstanding approaches to the hobby. But at the end of the day, at least for me, I guess, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm managing a certain amount of space that my collection can fill, the first things to go are the commons, you know? So I go for the big cards and maybe either stop there or else then you can, you know, if you're going to spend say $950 on the big cards, it's going to cost you 50 bucks for the last, you know, if it's, if it's a 500 card set, it's going to cost you 950 bucks for the big three or four cards and then 50 bucks for the, for the last, however many, you know, 495 cards that you're going to need. So you can always save those for the end. That's kind of where I stand on that whole thing. Well, all right, uh, Leighton, anything else uh, that you'd like to, to raise? And before you, before you do, if you do, I want to ask everybody, if you're not yet following Leighton on Instagram, you can look at the ticker right now, Leighton underscore Sheldon, great content. Just collect is his retail business and listen to his podcast trading card therapy which you've started to do more episodes of late. And I've been, I've been, well, listen, you, you've motivated me, Jeremy. I've been enjoying our Saturday nights. Most certainly last Saturday, as you saw, it was a little crazy uh, as I was in the village, but it was a lot of fun. Tonight's a little more tame. I'm at home. Um, so, um, but uh, you know, really, I just wanted to make a special shout out to Jason, our new hire um, at vintage breaks and just collect, um, you know, he's worked at several places, excuse me, several places uh, throughout the years. We're very grateful to have him join us. Uh, he has worked at Google, um, and I feel like for us, he is he was hired with marketing in mind, um, but I think both of you gentlemen will appreciate this. Really, with his corporate experience, and I can't believe I'm saying this in the baseball card world, but, you know, 
it's not something that we necessarily have a plethora of. I have a plethora of baseball card experience uh, that I can bring to just collect vintage breaks, but he's going to bring some strategy, um, you know, that he's uh, seen in his world. Uh, and we're excited to, you know, see where that's going to bring us, you know, meaning both of our companies, you know, moving forward. Uh, so we're super excited about that. And, um, you know, also, Jeremy, are you going to be going out to the Mint? I'm planning to be at the Mint Collective. Yes, the end of March, uh, March 30th to April 2nd. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, Josh, are you going to happen to be going out there? Um, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to start a trial that Monday. I'm trying to get this guy to not go to trial. So we'll see. It's kind of a play it by ear, last minute thing. Well, I think you should now put up something if you're allowed to in your you know line of work. Please like just you know tag the show and like because I'm now curious like how what happens with the case. Give us a few details. You know, I'll, I'll follow up. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for thanks for coming, Leighton. Thanks for your support. And uh, we will see you next week. Good to see Absolutely. you, man. Good to see you, Josh. Take it easy. You too. See you in the national. Bye. Take care. Take care. Uh, I want to go here uh, for a sec. Josh Rocco says he agrees. One of the weaker rookie years for 56, but great design. Makes the Hall of Famers must-have cards, especially the second-year cards. Uh, good stuff. Mark wants to know, was there, there was not a strike mark. Um, I forget the reason why there was no tops set that year. Maybe they weren't sure it was going to work or there was an issue with getting rights to the teams, uh, is where it might've actually, uh, what might have actually happened there. Gerald Fortier says nineties auctions to the moon. And we're going to start, we're going to talk about nineties auctions, Josh, your new auction company that you started last year. We'll get there. In a minute or so, Kelly Gilbert says, you nailed that, Jeremy. Can't tell you how many times I've told myself I've stopped myself at least six times in the last few years when getting those key cards. Yes, Kelly, uh, I, I hear that for sure. Uh, Jake says, I just picked up the biggest key card for a set I'm putting together. The rest is easy and cheap. Yeah, get those big ones out of the way, right, Josh? Get them out Way of the way. Go. Absolutely. Get them out of the way. Rocco, absolutely the right way to approach collecting. Wish I had followed your approach, guys. I would have had a lot more bigger cards and fewer binders full of commons, but all still fun. And Perk says, ha take the plea. I have a car- card conference to go to. <laughs> I'm not going to put that on the record, but absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too good, too good. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about this then, Josh, because this is something that when you told me I thought this is going to be something that people are going to want to hear about. So you are currently considering shaking up your personal collection in a way. And before I, I'm, I don't want to spill the beans. Why don't you talk about what you're thinking about doing and your mindset behind the move that you might be making? All right. So I got a lot of sets, uh, you know, I got a lot of commons, but a lot of, you know, a lot of harder to find cards, but a lot of the sets you can, you can find, with you know any day of the week or really any auction all the only uh prohibit against it is is money right the only barrier to get them all is money but they're there it's like 48 leaf the page doesn't come up that often or the new hauser but with enough patience they come up at least once or twice a year right so i was thinking who's the most recognizable or famous athlete of our generation would be would be mj right I, I would think so mj or gretzky but i think mj breaks cultural bounds or you know all sports uh just like mantle was i think for our generation our parents generation and look how 
crazy that 52 mantle has gone. Um, I personally don't like that card. I don't think it looks like him, but to each his own. Uh, but that, that card has exploded in the past couple of years, which it's a high number, but like you, you see him like literally every day of the week. The point is, I was thinking about getting rid of most of my easier to find cards, get a Jordan kind of harder to find serial number 90s card and hang on to it. Because I think by the time we get older to our parents' ages, those cards are going to be like kind of like the mantle status. They're going to be impossible to find because there's a lot less of them, right? Like the essential credentials out of 72, rubies out of 50, um, grand finales out of 50. And they'll be harder to find. I think they're going to dry up. I think we've seen a lot of those cards sell the past couple of years because the prices have just gone through the roof. And I think once they land in the hands of collectors, you're not going to see them for a very, very long time. Like they're just, they're in, like, you're not going to, they're locked away. Like, honestly, like hockey collectors, like you don't see a lot of hockey guys flipping nineties grails ever. You know, like how many runs for the cup Gretzky's have you seen in the past three years? I think like two when they're all in the past six months, you know, or star quest. I, Gold. I saw one at the Burbank show two weeks ago. Frank Porco had it, but it was oh. part of his, part of his set. And he would have sold this. I, I I went by his booth every few hours. Said, "If you are you breaking it up yet?" Because I said, "If someone buys the Gretzky, I'll buy three or four other ones." You know, then otherwise it was like, "No, he was not breaking up the set." So these things are locked away, like you said. Uh, as far as as far as the run for the cup goes, which for people who don't know is a very uh, highly highly sought after '90s insert number to a hundred from '97 or '98, I believe. And uh, it's one of those elusive cards that right now, not everybody knows about it, but that's hockey. In basketball, Josh, where you're talking about getting a Michael Jordan card or moving, uh, basically what I got from what you said is you're looking to move out of some more, some easier to find cards. And I'd like you to kind of tell us which ones, if you can, uh, and get into a, a, a single Michael Jordan card from the 90s that is serially numbered. And I find that a little bit interesting. So Two questions come out of that for me. First one is, why serial, serially numbered? And two, what cards are you looking to move out of specifically? What sets, what years, that kind of thing? Well, the serial, serial numbered cards are, you know, much more rare and, and harder to find. And um, I was always a fan of those. I think like every kid growing up, it was new in the 90s. I think 90s, you know, upper uh, FLIR showcase had the first ones in 96 with the legacy showcases and it really took off from there and everyone, you know, wanted like the, the rarity of those cards, you know, there's, there's only a hundred of them, you know, 150. Uh, it's harder to find. Like I said, they're going to, you're not going to see them much longer. I think they're going to, they're going to dry up and they're not going to be as available anymore. Um, thinking of getting out of like by keeping the page and the new Hauser from the leaf set, but getting rid of the rest of them just cause like you can find them, right? Like they're at auction. I think once every couple of months or, you know, you look on eBay, it's on eBay yesterday. Most of them are on there. And if you want to buy them, you can buy them. So, you know, luckily I've had these for a while. I don't have a lot into them so I can get some money back and then put it towards, uh, you know, put it towards a pretty, a pretty big Jordan card. So we'll see if that guy goes to trial in April. That might work out. I'm just, I'm totally kidding. Uh, so, so uh, I think that's my goal over the next couple of months is to find one of these one of these important Jordan cards. So and the parallel that you used was you know it's like the Mickey the 52 tops Mickey mantle of today. A lot of people including last week's guest on this show was highly coveting 
a 52 tops Mickey Mantle being the number one most iconic card in the hobby. I think nobody, I don't think anyone's really going to disagree with that, but you're right. It is not a rare card. There's, there are several available at any given time, whereas certain Jordan cards, rare Jordan inserts or parallels from the nineties, the second half of the nineties. And in particular, 97, 97, 97, 98, maybe 99. Those are the, really the, the big years for when I think, when I think the basketball cards were the prettiest, the most creative, the, just the, the most imaginative. Mm -hmm. And, um, but there's, there's so many of them. There's so many of them. So how do you then go and kind of hone in, or is it simply by virtue of looking at this, the ones with serial numbers? Cause not all Jordan cards from the nineties right. or from the, that, that like creative era have serial numbers. So is that why it's a serial number pursuit for you? Yeah. Yes. And it's, I like the way they look, you know, there's certain issues. I like the hand numbering on it. I think it's a little more personal. It's unique. You don't really see that anymore. And uh, they have it, it, they had it in hockey. I think Lord Stanley's final has the, you know, those kind of gray Stanley cup cutouts is hand numbered as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually thinking I, I picked up some cars. So we, I mentioned Frank uh, Porco earlier who was set up at the Burbank show and uh, he had that Gretzky run for the cup and I bought, I bought some cards from him and I'm just turning them over now to see if any of them are hand numbered. Uh, no, I do have some serial numbered cards that I picked up from him hockey, but none of yeah. them are, 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 hand, are hand numbered. They're all serial. They're all machine numbered, which is my preference. I prefer yeah. a machine numbered card to a, to a, a hand numbered. What, what does the chat think on that? When it comes to serial numbered cards, what do you guys like better? Do you like hand numbering on the back? Keeping in mind that it's likely not the player that hand numbered them. It's likely an employee of the card company that hand numbered those cards, or do you prefer machine stamp serial numbers? Go ahead, Josh. Some guy in upper deck that worked for upper deck has a Twitter account. And he like posted a few years ago, Hey, I'm the guy that was doing the hand numbers and everything. I keep trying to, and I go back, try to find it. I don't know where it, where it went, but I don't know if he's telling the truth, but if he was, it's pretty cool. That was a guy yeah. that was actually doing it. So when you just said that, you know, when it comes to your, your leaf cards, you're like, you know what, I'll keep the page and the new Hauser and I'll, and I'll maybe sell the rest. It, which is kind of like the undoing of, of set collecting. We were talking about set collecting earlier when, when Layton came on. And now we're talking about undoing set collecting and keeping the key cards, which again is reason enough to buy the key cards first. Don't worry so much about the commons. And listen, unless you're somebody who thrives on binder set filling you know you've got every you want to be you want to have the historical representation of every year of tops baseball from 1952 forward you can't have a gap if that's the case you need all the cards i i understand that that approach but what you're talking about doing right now is and you're a set collector you're actually talking about undoing the set collecting so i'm kind of a weird set collector i like just actually doing it and then once it's done it's like climbing a mountain like okay i did it let's go to the next one if I got to break up this one, that's fine. Like I did it. Like I was able to do it. Like the challenge to me, the, ch the, the challenge is the juice, as they right. say, like, you know, the action is the juice. So I like, uh, I like just trying to do it and the, the hunt and like taking years to find stuff to me is, is what's enjoyable for me in the hobby. Yeah, I, I get that. Let's see. Jake Dahl here says I collect hockey. And the more I think about it, I want a low grade Gretzky rookie only problem. The Gretzky is getting more expensive all the time. Well, it's a little bit less expensive now, Jacob, than it was uh, about a year ago. So uh, maybe now's the time. I, I'm not. I'm not saying 
it won't be cheaper in six months or tomorrow, who knows, but it's actually not that bad right now compared to where it was not too long ago. Uh, John says here, Josh, are you a fan of precious metal gems? Of course. I think everyone who grew up in the nineties is a fan of those. They're great. I know John, John and I go way back. He's a, uh, it's a guy in uh, Cleveland. He hangs around the booth at the national. We met him that he's a nice kid. Well, good to see you here, John. Uh, Jake says, I don't trust hand numbered or hand serial numbered cards, which I can understand uh, that right there. Uh, Rage, good to see you. I have an Iverson rookie, Kobe, Tiffany, Crystal Parallel, as well as, as, well as Jordan, uh, which a lot of people say is tough to pull. Uh, Mark Santucci likes hand numbered. Uh, John here says hand, hand numbering is cool, but there can be shenanigans. I guess there could be shenanigans there. Yeah. Luigi says the action is the juice. Great heat reference. I'm glad he got it. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Diamond card collector, machine etch, serial numbered, preferred here. Same here, Diamond. That's what I like. And Rage says only hand numbered stuff I like is Tops Heritage. Okay. Um, good. So, Josh, I want to ask you kind of changing topic now. This might sound funny, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How does the hobby enhance your life? It is for me an absolute 180 from my from like I want to say my real life from like work. It's a great stress reliever. It's a great way to decompress. And now my kids are getting a little older. I can share it with them, and that's even more exciting for me. So they started going to shows. Uh, like every kid, they love Pokemon. So you know they have binders of Pokemon. They trade with their friends, but teach them about collecting and about you know taking care of your cards and you know, pre preservation. Um, but for me, it's just a great way to relax and unwind and, you know, uh, make friends. Cause I, I mean, I don't really have, that sounds weird. Like most of the other people I know in life are other lawyers and I need a break from that at the end of the day. So uh, it's a great way, honestly, that's why the national is so great. Like I have a week to just kind of decompress and it's very, very relaxing. Well, you said you like to make some friends. You might've lost one right here. John says, kid, I'm five years older than you. He is. Yeah. <laughs> Only five is surprising, but that's okay. I'm kidding. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about, you know, make, you, all your friends are lawyers, but you're, you've made friends in the hobby. Talk, talk a bit more about that because I think it's interesting. I hope it's interesting to people. I think it is to me. I mean, the hobby is so much more than just the cards. The cards are at the foundation of it, of course. Without these cards, we don't have something in common, which is our common love of cardboard and collecting and chasing and all these things. But making friends in the hobby is something that is a, I think it's kind of like the most special thing the hobby has to offer. It does kind of um, put everybody on equal footing. Of course, not everybody can afford the same cards. That's what I mean. Well, that's not what I mean. I mean, it doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't even matter you know, what your financial resources are, doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter your gender. If you if you are a fan of cardboard and you like collecting cards, I mean, you're somebody I want to talk to. You're somebody I want to meet and just learn how do you approach the hobby. So, I don't know, just kind of respond to that a little bit with how, 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 it, how the hobby makes you feel in terms of relationships. I mean, some of my best friends are from, from collecting. My very best friend in the whole world and kind of a mentor and uh, was, was at my wedding and I met him from, you know, going to this shop in town, you know, after school, after law school. And, you know, we, he came in and we started, we had common interests and we, uh, 
just hit it off, became friends. He lived near me. He's got, um, you know, his family lives near me and we've just been friends for 20 years now. Yeah. He's at my wedding. It was, it's fantastic. Wouldn't have known him if it wasn't for card collecting. I keep yeah. trying to get him on Instagram. He's, he's more resistant to, to technology than I am. So he's like, no way, not doing that. I said, all right. There's somebody out there who's more resistant to technology than you are. Yeah, it's. I find it very odd too, as well. That's why we get along so well. So <laughs> I'm forcing myself though. So. And what about um, so what? And what about sort of the overall community and uh, your thoughts on, you know, building relationships and friendships on say Instagram or Twitter or where whatever social media, Facebook, and then and then kind of meeting up in real life is that has that been something that you've enjoyed yes immensely it's weird like you talk to these you talk to these people people that you have common interest in for a whole year let's say and then when you meet in person at the national it's like you've known each other forever and you get along and just it's like it's like you're just old friends uh uh chrissy buckets uh and uh publius on uh, instagram we're in a group chat and we met up for the first time a couple years ago it was fantastic it was great I had drinks on a friday after the national and uh yeah, it was. Uh, I love it. It's great. Our group, too. You know, so one of my favorite yeah. things is the hobby. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's um, it it is wonderful, and uh, there's so many different like, um, I don't know how you call like like just nucleuses within maybe it's nuclei within the hobby or or just groups of people, and I, you can walk into any hotel uh, after the national is over on the Friday Saturday. And you're going to see all these pockets of people congregating. And those are relationships. That's networking. Those are people who know each other from YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or or just being at the National, being in the hobby for so long. But it's a, it, it is an awesome part of the hobby overall. And that's why I encourage anybody who is in the hobby to go to an event, go to go to these card shows that are known for their extracurricular sort of activities you're going to find people that are, that are kind of a like-minded collect similar things as you do. So For pretty, sure. pretty important uh, way to, or a pretty integral way, I would say of being, in, of being involved or for um, Rob Gerard saying is, you know, participation is required in the hobby. <laughs> it's a great way to, to participate in the hobby. Wouldn't you say? I think so. And that's why I think the, like we talked about earlier, the evolution of the national, they have all these events afterwards. It's like, it's like forced social socialization for people who maybe, end of the day, I don't know what to do. And, you know, with the, with I think, the explosion of social media too, you're just forced to know people, not forced to, but you just have to know people, you know, like, Hey, someone posts a card that they're selling. Hey, I want this card. And you, you do a deal together and then you just want to talk and then you might become friends and it just kind of evolves from there. It, it really does. It, I, I once met a guy at an airport. This is probably okay. 2009, met him at the airport. Um, he came there to to deliver a card that I bought from him on eBay. We've been we've been good buddies ever since. We we chat all the time. It just that's all it, that's all it might take is that one random meetup. It, it's happened locally for me now. I've met a guy locally who we now we keep in touch, and it's just it's just so nice. And again, it doesn't matter where you come from or what you do for a living or you know any of those things, any of those sort of uh, uh, whatever it is about you. We right. all, you know, you all kind of, all your demographics, that sort of thing. We all can, we all can get along because we have cardboard in common. Let's go to a couple of comments. So from, unless you were going to jump in with something. No, it, it okay. can be for later in the show. It's a later segment. Decoy here says to push that way of collecting more. 
would be interesting to keep just one card from a set as a token of completing that set. It's a great idea. Absolutely. Great, yeah, I well, love that idea too. Uh, Jake wants to know, what is your favorite 90s set, Josh? Uh, Diamond Dimensions. Uh, it's, an, it's a parallel of an insert set. And I just, it's always been my favorite set since I was, I was 20 when it came out, but it's always been my favorite set. There you go. Uh, Alan, I prefer hand-numbered like the 97 Upper Deck Icons and the late 90s replacements with hand-numbering instead of the original machine. Uh, numbering or in, instead of the original machine number are cool too. Uh, Rage says, I agree, Josh, 100% as far as the, the hobby being a stress reliever. Says, I taught my daughter the hobby. She loves it as well at eight years old. So very nice, very nice, Rage. Josh, let's uh, let's jump in and talk about your new endeavor in the hobby 90s auctions um why don't you just go start by telling everybody what is 90s auctions okay so it's kind of a long story not a long story but so i'll start from the beginning kind start, of we'll start with what it is and then oh. i want then i'll then i want to ask you kind of it's an auction that. house focusing only on uh kind of the rare 90s cards um you know all four sports non-sport pokemon uh pretty much anything from the 90s tickets uh, sealed wax, but our goal is to be that one-stop spot for only rare '90s items. Like if you can't, kind of like you know how Frank is the guy for hockey. We want to be like the place to go if you can't find it for rare '90s cards, and that you know that's our that's our goal as we start out. So really, a pretty niche type of auction house. It's an online auction. Your '90sauctions.com is the yes. website, which I'll put on the ticker right now. Everybody can go. Check that out. You can follow Josh. If you're not following Josh on IG, which I'll be surprised if you're not Midwest Vintage Cards. It's funny. Your, your IG name is Midwest Vintage Cards. And then your the auction house, this niche auction house that you've started. And you have a partner. We'll talk about that shortly. Is called 90s Auction. So you cover basically vintage cards and 90s. Are you, with that said, do you have any interest in cards from 2000 forward? Not really. Um, I really like the history of really baseball and hockey and basketball. So I really like pre-war baseball, like 19th century stuff up through probably the fifties and sixties and then nineties stuff when I, when I was a kid. And then I kind of tailed off following most sports, you know, like current players after like 2000, 2005. And then um, I don't really buy modern product anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can, I can get my head around that. So what was the aha moment for 90s auctions? What uh, what kind of kicked off the whole concept? So my friend, the guy who I met, you know, uh, from the card shop, him him and two other guys started a vintage football auction house in around 2017. And I came on and helped. I wasn't a partner with them, but I really helped manage it in terms of like all the legal work, uh, writing descriptions, uh, kind of you know, contracts um, and uh, like the back end of it. And I really enjoyed it um, that they closed up in December, 2019. So if they would have stayed open for like 60 more days, 90 more days, it would have been, you know, smooth sailing. And uh, I probably would be doing something else. So I begged them to keep it open. I'm like, I'll do the work. Like, no, no, no. You have your own stuff going on. I'm like, okay. And then I had the idea. I'm like this, you know, their niche auction took off. Like it was extremely, extremely um, popular for the vintage football guys who are mostly a little bit older than us. And um, uh, I'm on a vintage, there's a vintage football board I'm on, but they, they uh, 
are very passionate about their stuff. Um, and I thought at that time, it was December 2019, I'm like, dude, I should do one for 90 stuff. Because like people my age are now in their 40s, have some disposable income, and this stuff's taking – and I already saw it starting to take off. And I'm like – because once you see people like Heritage and other houses that are only doing like vintage stuff, all of a sudden you start seeing like Jordan rookies and then 90s boxes, and then you start seeing – you know, Jordan inserts and Kobe start creeping in there. You're like, okay, well, now this stuff's really going to be taken off. So I thought an REA2. And I wanted to do this, and I uh, was going to – had all the ideas set up, um, and then everything shut down in March 2020, and I had to put a stop to it. And then during the during 2020, uh, on eBay, I met I met a guy, who John, who lives near me, who is my partner in, in the auction business. He's a – Chicago sports car gems on Instagram. And uh, he had a card on eBay that I wanted. I'm like, Oh, you live near me. You want to meet up? And instead of shipping, he goes, sure. So like, like, like your deal, we met up and we became like fast friends. You know, we, we clicked and we talked and then I raised the idea with him and he said, it's a great idea. So we started working on it. We didn't have the capital at the time to put into it just because I didn't know what was going to happen in terms of like business and anything going, you know, in 2020, and 2021. And as we started to ease up, um, we had the idea that we should do this. And John's a great partner because he's really, really good in terms of like just a second set of eyes to look at things and different perspective. He's much more plugged into like the modern collector than I am. So he's very helpful and he's really good at getting product. So um, wouldn't be able to do it without him. So I think he's out enjoying himself tonight, but uh, without him, this wouldn't be possible. And uh it's just been uh, great. We started our first one in December, and it, I was I was pleased with the turnout. Uh, we use Create Auction as the software. I think REA uses them, and Love of the Game uses them too. Uh, Seth, who owns it, has been a godsend, and it's been very, very helpful. And our next one starts on Wednesday, and just really thankful for all the support and people trusting us with their consignments. And uh, it's, it's very exciting. I think it's going to take a few years to like be at the point where I want it to be at. But for now, it's kind of the work is the most exciting part. Just building it up is, for me, is is a lot of fun. So you've got an auction starting right around the corner here. So it's yep. nice timing that you're coming on here and can can share that information. So 90sauctions.com for people who are interested to go check it out. Diamond Card Collector right here says, look forward, looking forward to checking it out. Thank Good you. timing, Diamond. Um, what can you tell us about the auction, Josh, in terms of how many... How many lots are going to be in this upcoming uh, auction? And how many were in the first one you did in December? So we had 42 in the first in the first auction. And we have, we're have we going to have 65 in this one. So I think it's like a 30, 30% increase, which I'm very happy about. We had a lot of people reach out to us after the first auction saying they wanted to consign stuff to us, which I was very honored, you know, and, and, and uh, humbled, honestly, that they would trust us with this. And I, you know, don't take it for granted. And I, I, I approach this auction house like the law business. I'm a solo practitioner. I work for myself. So I don't really get like the big, 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 you know, uh, clients like the, uh, I can't think of any, like, like the governors of Illinois don't go to the single guys. They go to, you know, unfortunately there's more than one, but they go to the, uh, you know, the big firms and, you know, you can't compete with the big firms and not trying to compete with the big firms. So you can just, you know, get, you know, a smidgen of what the, of the sell-off on that is, and you can still, do a very make a very good living and that's kind of how we're approaching it here you know we don't have to compete with anybody we just offer a a very unique service 
and a very distinct niche area product. And I think there's a demand for it. And I think we can service that demand. Right on, right on. Well, Jake just followed you guys on Instagram. Thank and you, here's a nice, nice really message here from Volume Accumulation. It says, I purchased a card from the first auction. Website was super easy to use and fast shipping. Very nice uh, feedback there, Volume. Thank you for that. Mark here says, uh, Josh, I was just thinking, which cup do you like better beating Philly in 2010 or Boston a few years ago? Oh, man. I, you know, the first one's always the best, you know, but that second one with se- two goals in 17 seconds was was sweet. I mean, that was I still watch that video because it's, it's amazing. I can't believe that happened. But the first one is always the best. So Josh is a big uh, Chicago Blackhawks fan, if anyone didn't catch that at the beginning of the episode uh back to the auction though back to 90s auctions to 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 get back on topic josh i'm curious it it's it's 90s auction so how strict are you guys in terms of you know all all of the cards being from the 90s and and do you like is it 1990 to 99 or is it 91 to 2000 can you put can you explain how the parameters work at 90 to 99 we got to be very strict on this you know you got to keep it down in the middle, right? Exactly. Uh, maybe you know, maybe down the road we'll do a before and after auction, like before the '90s and after the '90s. That's I also cool. thought about doing a 1890s auction, but I don't think I have like the customer base for that. That's kind of a whole different type of person. So uh, just '90s cars and and really the second half of the '90s, right? Because that's where most of the stuff in terms of baseball, basketball for sure, and hockey and football really uh, ramped up in terms of creativity and and uh, design. And rare and rarity as well, right? I mean, yeah. we had junk, we had the junk wax era really from say 88, 89 through till 93 or so, 94. Yeah. I think, I think 93, 94, 95, the card companies were trying to figure out what to do next, kind of experimenting. And then in 96, 97, they started to kind of hit a new stride with this, with all this creativity. Is that kind of how you? look at or do you what do you think of that yeah the late 90s is definitely more popular like early 90s like i said earlier 93 finest has those refractors and that's a great set uh we there are still cases around like unopened cases so if i could ever i would probably auction something like that off if we got one and what kind of schedule are you guys looking at for the auction how many how many auctions per year do you want to be able to run probably four uh, one each quarter is what we'd like to do um we don't want to do it so much that it becomes so common. We like to make it kind of a unique event. So once every quarter, so it's something to look forward to and we can build up not only anticipation, but also build up, you know, um, the lots that we have in the, in the product. And, and what do you find? I mean, listen, anytime you start a new business, you're going to have some challenges. What have been some of the challenges that you guys have encountered so far? Uh, the biggest biggest challenge is getting stuff right because there's so many so many options that you can do and really people can just put on eBay themselves and you don't need an auction house but maybe for someone because eBay's the biggest got the biggest eyeballs right the most eyeballs um, so the biggest uh, challenge right hurdle is um, getting people to give you their stuff and again the, the similarities to the to my business are the same the, the challenge to get someone to trust you with their case and trust you to, to work with them and, and wherever they're facing, it's the same thing. You got to get sell yourself, just be honest, trustworthy, and, and very transparent. And I think that's a, a key to, and that's worked so far. You know, well, I was going to ask what, you know, it's a challenge to get the, the cards, 
what are you doing to meet that challenge? What what are, what have been some of your tactics, or how are you and your partner doing it? Is it, and is there anyone else involved in the business besides uh, you and your partner, or do you have any support? Um, are you guys doing it all right down to shipping everything out yourselves? Uh, yeah, we ship everything out ourselves. I've got a, my office in the city is now the shipping central, so I've got my my other desk in the in the uh, conference room is uh, end of the auction. We'll have everything laid out. Um, got all the materials. Uh, it's just the two of us. Um, and hopefully, you know, it gets, it gets bigger as we go, you know? Um, but to meet that, you know, demand in terms of like, we, we advertise a lot on social media, uh, I've applied with PSA to get that going to be a PSA advertiser that should be coming hopefully any week soon. Um, and, uh, I think that's the best way to do it. And then word of just doing a good job, like Chris said, just doing a good job, fast shipping, and then paying your consigners quickly. I think are the most important things because those are the two biggest complaints we hear, right? Like it took forever for this. It took forever to get my stuff. Pay out the consigners as fast as possible. Ship out the cards as fast as soon as they've been paid or as fast as possible, as soon as they've been paid for. Right. And cause I guess, you know, my other question in, in, in addition to what challenges have you, in, have you encountered or are you dealing with is, uh, how are you differentiating yourselves from the competition? There's lots of, you know, I work very closely with PWCC. I cover their mm-hmm. auctions. They're a, they're a monster in the space. Um, how do you compete with the PWCC? Well, that's the thing. I don't think we really try to compete with them because I don't think you can, that's like, you can't compete with them. It's like competing with a large multinational law firm, right? Like you just offer a different service. So we're only offering the service where it's a certain area of collecting and we will offer maybe 100 to 200 lots at the most per auction once a quarter. It's just different. So we don't see ourselves as competing with them. It's just a different type of auction experience for somebody. Okay. Well, I think that's a fair answer. Jake wants to know, what about basketball when it's a se- when the season falls in two years, like the 19? 90- and that's how basketball and hockey card sets work. There are two. It's, 99, it's 88, 89, or 99, 2000. To me, it's the first number that counts. Is that for you too? Same. That's what we decided too. Is ninety nine is fine. It ends in two thousand. I, I think that's okay. I'll make yeah. an exception. Yeah, I, I think I, that's and you. If you even look at the way the grading companies put the years on on their labels, they they kind of don't put the second year. They'll put nineteen ninety seven. You know, Jambalaya or whatever it might be. Right. Uh, Jordan Riker, welcome. Says uh, hi, Jeremy and Josh. Josh, have you put? some of your own cards in the auction to increase the inventory. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so speak like, do you guys go out? Like, will you actually go looking for cards to put in or do you, is it only cards that you had in your collection? And is that, how does the market perceive that? Um, so, you know, any, you know, I, we can't bid on anything in our auction. So if it's in there, it's mine, it, it goes and it's, I don't, I can't bid on it. I don't even, and we can't even see the high bid on who who's bidding in terms of, we don't know what the high bid is or if there's a reserve. So we can't see that. I mean, I mean a mass ceiling bid. We can't see that. Uh, we do go out and try to get people to either consign to us or we'll, you know, early on we'll, we'll get cards ourselves and put it in the auction. And if we lose money, lose money, but it's, so we got to, I think building it up and having successful run auctions um, again, where there's a quick payout and a quick delivery I think only is good in the long term in terms of building I mean, reputation. Yeah, and if you're going to lose money on a card, that might be good for the buyer. There might be some there might be some deals in these early years in the, on on '90s auctions while you guys are 
ramping up. What's the fewest number of lots that you would like to see in an upcoming 90s auctions uh, auction? I think like 100 would be like a nice round number. Um, yeah. I think at most, like the fewest would be 100, I think. The most, I think, would be on 200. Okay. Yeah, manageable, right? Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, Jordan wants to know, what's your favorite card in the up upcoming auction and why? That's a good question. Uh, first, my favorite card is the first one. It's the uh, Bulls Championship uh, Refractor in a PSA 10. It's uh, it's from the parade from 1997. I remember because I used to go to every single one of those parades because being home and it was downtown and it was the coolest thing every summer. You know, you go to a parade because the Bulls won another championship. But yeah. I, I just remember that day. That's why I, I like that card from a personal standpoint. It's my favorite one. Tony asks, any Griffies in the upcoming auction? Yes, we have about five or six Griffies, and we have a, a, a fractal, 97 fractal out of 50. It's the oh, second card cool. in the uh, auction. I can I know Tony, too. He clearly didn't look at the preview. <laughs> Tony, come on. You even know Josh. You got to look, gotta look at the preview. I know. he's Tony's a good person. <laughs> I know we're just having fun there. Uh, Rocco says, Josh, I think I may be able to help you with stuff for your auction. If you could reach out to me, I think I have a good amount of stuff that I could help you with. There um, you go. That, that's great, Rocco. Um, maybe uh, let, let Josh know how he could reach out to you, Rocco, if you want, or reach out to Josh on Instagram, Rocco, if you're on it and uh, maybe open up a line of communication sure. that way. Uh, he always he goes on to say, always looking to help a good, honest entrepreneur. I like what you have to say. That's very nice, Rocco. Thank you, Rocco. Yes, that means a lot. Very nice. Stiff arm wax, a shout out to us. Good to see you as always. <laughs> right. uh, Rocco says, Josh, would you consider related collectibles besides cards? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Good. That'd be cool. Yeah. Now look at Tony with the with the perfect comeback. <laughs> The bat. He says, "I did look at it. I figured it was a good question for the masses." There you Thank go. you, Tony. <laughs> and Jake says, "How many items in the upcoming auction?" You said sixty-five. Sixty-five. Is is '90s auctions like? Is this a passion project for you, Josh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Like I, this, if this could replay, replace my income that I'm making now, and it could be a full-time job, I would do it. If I could be like a full-time auction house, I would do it tomorrow. I love it. I love this stuff. I love these cards and I, I enjoy building it and I enjoy like creating the auction. I enjoy finding the cards and reaching out to people and trying to, you know, Hey, send me this and, you know, going to shows and looking for stuff. So yeah, I love it. Do you want to quit your law career? Do you want to retire from law and go yes. into? Yes. In a second, any day now, please. So everyone just bid a ton on this so I can stop being a lawyer. Did you ever like being a lawyer? I Not loved it for a very long time. I'm sorry I stepped over you. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Do you do you like and I kind of we we chatted, but I want the audience to know you loved it before. How do you enjoy practicing law today? Well, you know, I like the work, like I like the research, I like the writing, I like the arguing. I do love try I, I still love trying cases. Like I'll, you know, I, I tried seven trials last year and it was it's great. Um, there's a lot of burnout in the past few years, just with, you know, courts were shut down and people are in jail and you know, talk to them and there's a lot of clients and it's, everyone wants answers right away. It's, it's, uh, it's quite similar to this work, but it's, uh, the stakes are a little different. Um, it just, it's been, it's been stressful the past few years. And so the sports card world, the hobby nineties auctions, 
when you launched it with your partner, was one of your vision, was, was part of your vision to say, Hey, this might be my out from law so that I don't like, right. I mean, Hey, you have a career, you're a lawyer, you, you know, you're, you're feeding your family, paying the bills based on your career right now. Again, when you started nineties auctions, was it, were you thinking in the back of your mind, maybe this could be my next thing and I could retire from law? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It'd be, it would be wonderful. Like I'll still probably, you know, try a case here and there every year just to keep sharp. But for the most part, yeah, no, I'm out, out of the game. I'm out. (laughs) Hey man, listen, I can, I hear it. I can support it. I, I was, I've been fortunate to do the same thing in the last year of my life, uh, retiring from a professional services career as well and moving into the hobby. So I wish you all the best. I have a, I have a two month trial starting in May. So, and then a, three month trial starting in September. So this can't come fast enough. <laughs> so. Well, that gives you some run, some kind of runway as well to, uh, to see what happens with the nineties auctions, if it builds up. Right. And do you have any other projects you're looking at besides nineties auctions or, or are all your bag eggs in that basket right now? So this is, the other one's more of like a passion hobby. I didn't tell you about this, this is kind of spring this on you. So I, um, wanted to write a book about a baseball player and I've been trying to do it for like 10 years and something always comes up where I have to put it in the back burner. And I have, I have boxes of research and I just never got around to it. I think I wrote like the first page and then I just could not find time to sit down and dedicate like a month to like sorting through it. Uh, it's about a, there's a, there was an old Negro league player named Spotwood Poles and he played for the New York Lincoln giants. And he's supposed to be, they call them the, they call him the black tie cob. Like he's supposed to have over a thousand stolen bases, a 400 batting average. But of course no one kept records of any of this stuff. So what I did was I was on Saber. I think it was like 2006. And there's a, there's a, like a subcommittee on the Negro leagues. And I said, I'm writing a book on this guy. Anyone have any research? And some guy called me because I have a ton of stuff. He sent it all to me. He was able to go through these newspapers and get the box score. So he's got over 300 box scores. So I actually spent some time like computing and I don't remember because it was a long time ago, over 10 years ago. And then you have two kids and a job and a wife. And it's just kind of like, I can't do this now. And uh, see, there's one of them right there. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that's, uh, it just kind of go to the wayside, but that's something I'd love to do. I don't know if there's like, you know, like a career wise, but it'd be nice to write. I like writing. So it'd be, it'd be nice to write. When you say nowadays, anyone says, you know, I want to write a book. I've been taking 10 years. You might be too late to the game now, Josh. Now maybe chat GPT could just write that book for you. You know, that's right. Well, I also just let the cat out of the bag, but yeah, I could totally do that. Just have chat GPT do it. And then, although can that do math? Cause there's a lot of math involved. With I think it can, out. I think it can, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll do it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, here, uh, Alex here wants to know, can you share what's on the wall behind you? You've got, you got some cards, looks like you got some cards right behind you, some kind of sheet in the frame and then something kind of right there. Okay. So, well, this thing over here is something my kids drew me. So I keep that up there. That's a Nellie Fox here. I'll, I'll, it's a Nellie Fox advertising piece. I try to collect White Sox advertising things. And then Behind me on that, it's an uncut sheet of 84 tops just because I got one. Your first packs, though. Yeah, so I I bought that a long time ago. And then on the wall, on the the back are those um, 
remember tops the project 2020 yeah. yeah those are all the frank thomas cards from from that issue and then i have that's on the uh, behind my, my head where that bookshelf is i have two game balls from uh, old comiskey park um that they issued uh, because it was the last season they issued these for each game so this one's from this one was actually the last game i ever went to there it's august 11th 1990 and i was just it just lucked out that that was one so I, I had to buy it and there was a ticket on ebay about three months ago from that game and i totally missed it so i was bummed out but uh that's like my favorite collectible in my house so uh, very cool i like this from uh Al- sports card stallion can chat gpt open a pack of cards for us no it cannot touche touche alex uh, i like that comment quite a bit um okay well listen i mean Anything else that's on your mind, uh, Josh? Anything else you'd like to say about 90s auctions or your IG account or anything whatsoever, really? Just, you know, uh, thanks. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Uh, and But thank you for everyone that's either signed up or given us a look. We really appreciate it. We know that it is it is hard getting started. It's really hard. It's a lot of work. So let me I don't ask mind you, that. Yeah, thank, I appreciate that. And before, before we do end this, end the episode, um, any thoughts on the hobby now? Like here we are at the end, end of, we're two months into 2023. We know what we've been through for the past few years. What's your outlook? What's your outlook on the hobby, the the industry of the hobby as we move through the, the rest of the year? Um, I think, you know, there's gonna be more, I think more shows, more card shows. I think people are going to want to go to more shows. So it's nice to see the regional shows getting stronger. Uh, I went to the Dallas show in January. It was huge. It was like three rooms. It was awesome. And that one just started in, in 2020, I think. And it's really great. And then Burbank, I was, I was supposed to go. I waited too long to buy a plane ticket. But Burbank was huge, right? And, like, yeah. and it's getting bigger each time, which is amazing. I mean, it's fantastic. So I think the shows, the regional shows are getting bigger. Because also there's a few shows on the West Coast, right? Like I think there's one in San Francisco also. I'm not sure. But not as many as on the East coast, right. Or in Chicago or in, or in the Midwest. So, right. and there's also shows popping up everywhere. I think it's awesome. Cause you didn't see that in the late 20 teens, right. It was kind of dying. And then it's, it's the, the flow is going the other way now. Um, and I'm I also from a kind of a get off my lawn type of view is I think hopefully you're going to see the, the influencer culture kind of go away, kind of die down and, you know, it's card prices. Some card prices have gone down. They're telling people what to buy. And it turned out it wasn't, the best advice in the world. And I think people are getting a little more knowledgeable in terms of collecting just from ex- you know, experience. You gotta, you learn by doing right. So like, I think that'll be uh, a trend hopefully this year. Well, hold on. I want to dig into the influencer comment a little bit. What, what do you, when you, what do you mean when you say influencer? And this is, this is a question that I, that I think, you know, I think different people have different, perceptions or definition of what an influencer is in the hobby when you say influencer what what do you mean what kind of influencer what what kind of content are you referring to i'm talking about the guys that kind of the younger guys that go i shouldn't say people that go to the shows with the cameras and videotape all these transactions with tons of cash on the table which i don't know from a security point of view i don't know how safe that is but i don't know i just um again that might be my age showing you know that kind of hoping that kind of thing goes away. Let me ask you this. We asked that when we had Matthew on last week, we got into a whole conversation about 
what is the difference between a flipper and a dealer? Because I, I'm because I think that flippers get a lot of um, sort of uh, negative. The word flipper has a lot of negative connotations associated to it, as far as the hobby goes and the narrative in the hobby uh, on social media. Yet I never see anybody. Uh, I never, I never see or read or hear any anybody sort of giving negative comments towards or applying a negative connotation connotation to the to the dealers out there. And I'm not, I'm trying to understand what's the difference between a dealer and a flipper. Do you have any idea? Yes, I could answer that in part with an analogy. Uh, what's the difference between a lawyer and an attorney? I've always wondered that too. I don't know. I thought it meant the same thing. 500 bucks an hour. So, you know, it's just, I think it's just a dealer's a little more professional term for a flipper. I think the connotation is they're just walking around trying to maybe hustle, which is okay, right? I mean, you got to hustle. Life is about hustling anyway. And I, I, I think it's really one and the same. The dealer, I think, is considered a little more maybe refined by by the hobby standards because they, they set up, they take the time to buy a booth, everything's laid out there. But they're doing the same thing, right? Like I am, I know when I go to a show and I'm set up, I don't buy something at what I can sell it for. I buy it at less than what I can sell it for. That's kind of how it works. So I, th- I do think that flipper gets a little unfair kind of connotation. I like, I think you might've given, I'm, we, we, we talked about it last week, um, Matthew and I, and then the chat piped in with a whole bunch of great responses, but I, but yours might be the the simplest. <laughs> the simplest is that the, the dealer is just a, a more refined or professional version of a flipper. Yeah. Yeah. They take yeah. the time to, yeah. That makes, so. that makes sense to me. Very quickly here, uh, Rocco says, Josh, write the book. Love to give it a read. You will do a lot better than chat. You have the passion. I, I think that's uh, well said, Rocco. And I, I couldn't agree more. And obviously Thanks, my, my comment was I was being facetious, of course. Right. <laughs> definitely like the, definitely would like to read the, 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 the personal spin that, that a guy like Josh would have on a book like that. That'd be really, really interesting. <laughs> Well, all right, man. Listen, let's. Uh, I think we can wrap up this this episode. We've covered everything. Um, appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm glad to help you get spread the word about 90s auctions. I look forward to seeing what you do with it over the next period of time. I I hope you're able to retire from your law career maybe by the end of this year or as soon as you're you're able to. That'd be great. Uh, so I wish you all the best with those. Thanks, man. I'm I'm sure I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for having me on. It was great. Yeah, you are more than welcome. So before we uh, totally sign off to, to everybody in the chat, make sure you're following Josh on Instagram at Midwest Vintage Cards. Also follow 90s Auctions on Instagram to see what is going on with that. And then very quickly, uh, tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern on Collectible Live here on the same YouTube channel, Sports Cards Live, Brian Dwyer, president of another auction company, REA Auctions, will be joining me for Collectible Live. And then later on that day, 9.30 Eastern, Josh Madigan from Hockey Cards Gong Show will be joining me yet again, and we will be covering the extended bidding on the PWCC Weekly for their hockey auctions. And then next week, next Saturday, Alan Tarul from Waxstat. He's a guy who's been in the hobby a long time, a collector who also started up a, a service in the hobby called Waxstat. We will be on and learn about what that is and hear from another uh, collector in the hobby. So, With that, Josh, say goodbye and we're done. Goodbye. Thank you.
Thank you, Josh. And uh, Perk, I see Perk. Great convo. Enjoy the rest. Same to you, Perk. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your comment. Very nice. Mark Santucci says, great live stream. Five out of five. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Diamond. And uh, Jake even says, looking forward to the auction. All right, guys. Thank you so much. This episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.